0: Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, June 27th, the Supporting My Non-Binary Teen Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry who's 10, Oliver who's 8, and Teddy who's 5. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Well, this week is a little wonky. Jamila and Zach are out on vacation, so you get me. The main section of this episode is a segment I did with Dr. Joseph Curran, a licensed psychologist and assistant professor who focuses on identity development and sex education. A little while back, you all submitted your toughest team questions, and he's here helping me tackle them. But before that, we need to talk about the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade on Friday— I am so glad to be joined by Slate senior editor, parent and friend of the show, Rebecca Onion. and we want to acknowledge that this is definitely not the full conversation that we need to have, but we did not want this moment to pass by and I know um, Rebecca and I were just talking that like just being able to talk to another human about this so we're we're hoping that this conversation just just helps you in this moment. So I guess Rebecca, how are you feeling? Oh, overwhelmed. Um, the leak
1: coming when it did, you know, whatever that was five, six weeks ago. I feel like a lot of my emotions were spent when that came out. And still, it hits hard to see it actually happen. Most people that I i am in such a filter bubble, I realize, as most people that I interact with are like absolutely miserable and overwhelmed. Um, and then every once in a while, someone kind of peeks through who's like, this is a great day. And I'm like, wait, how'd you get in here? Um
0: so that's actually but. something I've I've talked about here because I'm in this odd place in Colorado Springs where like my core group of what I'd call like true friends are all on the same page because it's hard to like build those kind of relationships when you have totally different feelings about such major issues. Mm. But like the parent friends that I interact with day to day, like I, I feel like I'm almost hiding today because I know mm. that some of them are going to be celebrating and, and figuring out how to respond in a way that is, is meaningful, right? Like I have this moment Mm. to have these conversations with them in a relationship that I have built in being parents together. How do I use that moment to like say something that is meaningful in a way that they can hear? Like, I I think about that a lot, right? Like I feel angry and upset, but if I, if I echo that back to them, I'm not using what little cloud I have to say like hey actually this is not this this great win for life or for whatever that that you think of it as, you know? That's so interesting. I think you know I live in Ohio,
1: so yeah. I have like a similar um but my child, yeah, yeah, exactly. But well, my child is only five and a half, so we are still in the time when, um, you know, she is on the brink of going to elementary school, right? And elementary school is going to be, I think, when these kinds of relationships start to happen a little bit more. Um, as of now, I, what I have here is the core group of friends who are all, you know, on the same page. I'm editing this piece. Um, it's not out yet. I think it'll be out next week. Um, by a historian who's writing about. The formation of the pro-life identity, like the idea that um, a belief in anti-abortion politics is not just like a belief in one thing, but is also a belief in sort of like a a whole constellation of ideas. Um, And so I think that's probably why it's like partly hard for you is that it's like, it's not just like having some kind of both sides conversation about a you know a controversial issue you disagree on you're trying to come across like a big identity divide it's really hard
0: it really leaves me in a place of like what next like how do we predict <laughs> the future of of what this looks like in our coming weeks months years oh my
1: gosh i have no <laughs> idea
0: i think that um I mean,
1: it's it's hard because, you know, one of my roles at Slate, among others, is editing history-related content. And in the month and a half since the draft was leaked, I've edited, like, however many thousands of words on, like, what it was like before Roe. There are so many different variables right now, um, especially, like, social variables. I mean, technology is totally different. Communications are totally different. Transportation, travel, all of those things. Um, and even things like... You know stigma and shaming, like the way that people just didn't talk about pregnancy. Right. Um, and that's still true in some communities now. But I, I think on, on a whole, like from what I've read about Im- the immediate pre-road time, in some ways, we're better off in terms of being willing to talk about it. More people know someone who's had an abortion. Um, right. But at the same time, the way that our political system, electoral system has um, been like contracted and, and constricted so that, you know, I mean, whatever, it's a familiar, very old story uh, yeah. to people who listen to this podcast, probably, but like the way that, you know, gerrymandering and, you know, the um, Electoral College have made it so that the, there's a minoritarian rule that has changed a lot since pre row
0: I guess one of the things we're wondering is like, do you have a prediction on what this is going to look like for people specifically parents, so like for parents who want to get an abortion but can't access one.
1: So I was looking this up, the the Guttmacher Institute has a statistic that it's like 6 out of 10 women who get abortions in the U.S. already have kids. Um, So this is like a parenting issue, and one of the things that they'll often say is, you know, I wanted to have resources for my existing kids, like the kids that are already here. I think that it is yet another instance in which again, back to the identity thing, like, if you have a certain set of beliefs about gender, parenting, domesticity, the family, um, then it's kind of like a more the merrier situation, like the idea that you want to make a choice about, uh, you know,
0: when you have them, how you have them, them, how you have them them with.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that's like a decision that's made out of Like resistance to something natural, which the natural thing is to sort of like accept what's going to happen and like try to extend yourself Mm. further, which I feel like is this idea about especially women, maybe parents in general, but specifically women and mothers that like you do have infinite reserves if you could just like tap into it. So
0: true. Like Um, just have more. What's the big deal?
1: Exactly. Um, and you see a little bit of it in like, occasionally, there's like this, you know, infuriating clickbait articles from right wing women, I can I have one particular person in my mind that I will not say, um, where they explain, you know, how they came to have nine children and how great it is. And, um, you know, whatever, and that you always like look into their backgrounds, and they have like a lot of money, and their, their husband has a really, like, high paying job or whatever.
0: My frustration about this whole thing is looking at the totality of the situation. Like, we're going to pass this abortion ban, but also we're not going to provide anything else that, to me, is the life part of that, right? Like, we don't care about maternal health care. We don't care about um, your child's safety in their school. We don't care if they get fed, be that, like, our formula shortage or making sure that we have enough food and clean water. Like, we don't care about any of that, but you need to have this baby is mind-blowing to me as a person who can have a baby like the you know just this like idea that I in the future could not have any choice in that um is is crazy like is uh, I, it doesn't it almost like doesn't compute <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah wait, wait a minute wait what have you thought at all about how to bring this up with your kids? or how other parents can bring it up with their kids
1: I am not going to bring it up unless she brings it up. <laughs> but yes. but I'm a coward. Um, you know, she's <laughs> only 5. Um, she has like a um I think it's classically 5-year-old sort of like self-centered uh yeah, yeah. like view of the world and I think she would mostly just find it kind of like striking and sad the idea of parents not wanting to have kids. Yeah. Um, cuz like every once in a while she'll say something like that to me like if we're having a particularly hard time, she'll say- the other day she said I bet you wish you never had a little girl, which was like oh. was so sad, I broke That's my sad. heart. Yeah. I was like, "No, I don't wish that. I just wish that you would brush your teeth." Like whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but um I- but yeah, so I haven't had to deal with it yet.
0: My yeah. oldest boy is 10 and uh, you know, obviously has heard the word abortion sort of asked about it. And I was like struck with this idea of exactly that that like there's this gut instinct of like Okay, I have to explain that sometimes we terminate a pregnancy... Um, for many reasons, including choice, you know, and and really found that, one, it was best to answer honestly, but to also tell Mm -hmm. him, like, this is a kind of medical care. He receives a bunch of medical care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is really a decision that that should be made with a provider that you feel safe with because Mm -hmm. he understands that. He's had a bunch of medical procedures. He has met doctors. He has heard us talk about whether or not he should have a tonsillectomy, you you know, Mm -hmm. those sort of things. And so relating it to that in terms of, like, you don't necessarily have to agree with the outcome or understand this, but the the abortion itself is a medical procedure that there are a lot of different reasons. And like many healthcare things, you don't get to decide when, when someone has those things. That is a personal decision that a person makes with their doctor. And, and that is kind of how we've framed it um, at this point, because I want to give it, it's like I didn't want to give him the chance to think think too much or hear too much about like i don't know there's just something about when we and, and i think this is how like pro life has become right like if abortion is killing babies it's really easy to sell as as something bad
1: it's complicated um, because you're you're bringing up you know the idea that some parents didn't want to be parents but also that um there, there are some really tough, like adult situations that uh, that people, you know, that come up. Like, uh, yeah. I, edit, I, I'm sorry to continually plug the various pieces around this that no, I've edited. No, 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 that's what we We uh, yeah. information. <laughs> I edited this really good personal essay by this woman who, um, whose mom was in a really bad domestic violence situation, and when she was around 13, her mom got pregnant and was like 42. You know pretty old already, yeah. but also just, like, really trying to leave this guy. Um, and she got the abortion, and she was able to leave him. Um, right, and if she hadn't, so,
0: things would have been totally different.
1: Right, but can't tell a 10-year-old no,
0: I mean, kid just, that he, story. He, he, he doesn't have the context to understand that yet. So I was yeah. thinking, like, how do I set the stage so that when he is old enough to read that, this he almost doesn't have to have that moral debate because we've already kind of set this as, like, this is a medical decision. I don't, I don't. I mean, I need him to understand mm-hmm. that the world is not black and white.
1: I don't want to read into what you're saying too much, but I will just say no, that no, it sounds on. a little bit like it's like, um, you know, the the pro life position is a black and white position. So, yes, in a little yes, in a what, little bit of a way, it seems like it, there's like a little bit of a worry that if we don't get into the complexity with kids, they'll end up sort of like sticking, getting stuck in like. So
0: that that, that. is what I'm worried. I think yeah. you've summed up very nicely. And I think, yeah,
1: I think. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is cowardly of me, but I no, really no. Do, I do feel like that. Like as they grow up and they go along, um, uh, if you're if they're living in a household where they see you guys model conversations about difficult topics um, that are complex, um, I feel like they'll get it. Um, yeah. Like I don't know. I feel like there's more. Uh, maybe I it's need a to cliche. Give them more yeah, you I was going to say, maybe credit. it's a, yeah, exactly. Maybe it's a cliche <laughs> to say, but I feel like there's more to like the development of a child's worldview than like these explicit targeted conversations yeah, yeah. about topics. It's like about the like habits of mind kind of. And if you're teaching the habits of mind in like other realms, then I feel like it'll get transferred over. Um, such a
0: good optim Okay, I'm going to go with that. Such a good, I hope it's true. A little true. optimism on today. <laughs> well, I hope so. Well, we... We did want to let everyone know that there's a bunch of great slate coverage Mm -hmm. and analysis that we'll link to in the show notes. Rebecca, do you have other articles or resources to recommend to our listeners?
1: I mean, there's a million great pieces on slate.com right now about this decision. Um, Among them, I would especially recommend uh, Susan Matthews wrote a piece called This is a Blood Issue, which is about the uh, fundamental division inside the Roe decision. Um, And Susan just people might know uh, did a whole slow burn season on the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, So she's been thinking about this for months and the piece is really helpful and puts its finger on something.
0: I was going to second the slow burn just to say like, if if podcasts are more your thing, head over there, Mm -hmm. you'll get a deep dive into, into the larger picture of this and this yeah. definitely will not be the last conversation about this that you hear on um, mom and dad are fighting um it's just the beginning we of course will cover changes in this post row world but we'd really love to hear from you let us know what thoughts insights or questions you have uh, you're welcome to send us a voice memo screaming into the void we <laughs> we love to hear those and and just be here for you you can email us at, at com and a huge thank you Rebecca for joining me on such short notice to just have have a conversation about this. Thanks for having me on. So, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, Dr. Kern and I are going to pivot to your teen questions. Stay with us.
2: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: All right. Today we are speaking with Dr. Joseph Curran. Joe is a licensed psychologist and assistant professor who focuses on sex education and identity development. Joe, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join us.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: We've had a ton of questions from parents, and we're going to try to get through them all. But before that, can you kind of tell us how you got into this work and what you find rewarding about it?
3: I got into this, honestly, um, going through my own stuff through therapy and realized I really liked this. Like, I I, this is – it kind of spoke to me from a different angle where, like, I want to do this. And then as I got into my education and training – All of a sudden, I also really fell in love with teaching. And so then it was like, Hey, wait, I want to do both of these things. It's kind of funny because my favorite client age group, in all honesty, is college age. (laughs) Um. So, I mean, I I have clients that range from all ages and I've worked with all ages, but that's kind of my favorite because they're at this point where the first time in their life, they are separate from, you know, family, So they have kind of the control to be like, hey, I can make some decisions. Yet they're young enough that they're still looking for guidance. And so you really can just really empower this age group to kind of find who they really are you know kind of really figure that out and so I think it's a really cool age group and you know with teaching like my favorite thing I always say in class is like I'm not here to tell you how to think I'm here to make you think about why you think how you do and if I can do that I've done my job and so and students really resonate with that because then it's not you know oh the professor's telling me what to do it's oh I get to try these things on and see if I like them so yeah
0: which is good in the classroom, and also, I mean, so many of these questions kind of come from that, from this a this college-age group searching for their own identity and separating mm. themselves from their parents, but also being faced with, like, the world we live in today, and then parents not sure how, like, how do we shepherd them, but also give them,
3: <laughs> you know, this independence?
0: <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it's
3: well, a- it's kind of that, it's kind of that... Pull of like you know we have this magic age you know like someone decided at 18 we yeah. were adults <laughs> um, which i'd like to revisit that decision yeah. but um they're off kind of uh, trying to adult and then parents are also trying to like i know my child's an adult but they're my child and so it's just like it's it's that time frame of identity development you know it's kind of like they're who am i yeah you know, kind of going on so yeah
0: are you ready to dive in
3: Sure. Let's let's <laughs> okay, let's see what so we got.
0: Here's our first one. How can parents make themselves safer spaces for teens to discuss and explore their identity and sexuality?
3: Okay, so we're gonna start with we're the big starting one, okay? big big with the big one. Yeah. What everybody wants to know. Right? Okay. <laughs> What's the um, magic answer, Joe? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, magic answer. I'm there probably gonna fail. One, yeah. Um but I will say this, the fact that this person is asking the question, to me, probably communicates they are trying to provide a safe space. And that's really all we can do. Kind of what's a safe space? It's one where people aren't judging each other. Um, it's one that feels comfortable to say something and not, not feel like you're not being listened to. You know, it's kind of <laughs> going into the therapy room for a minute. One of the exercises I practice with couples and also with families is... You know, before you say something in response, you have to restate what the person said. Mm. And that's a really good way to generate a safe space because a lot of times, especially with these conversations, adolescents and early adulthood, they're, they're very anxious if they're trying to share something, if they're trying to explore something that maybe they think their parents aren't going to necessarily support. And the best way to do that is before you respond to them, restate what you think they just said. Yeah, and, and by being able to kind of have this check, I call it check for understanding. Um, I think the technical term is reflective listening. <laughs> you know, for the,
0: yeah. the
3: any of the therapists <laughs> out there, um, they're like, I know what that is. Uh, <laughs> but it, it 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 enables the space to actually be safe where you can share something. And it's kind of, it. does two things. It makes the person listen. And it also keeps them from just responding immediately. You know, yeah. a lot of times in conversations, people like they're waiting their turn. They're not really processing the the information and so to me that's the biggest thing in creating a safe space is is really how you listen and then how you respond to that and you know it's okay to be authentic it's okay to share your emotions being thoughtful is a really good way to make sure that that's done appropriately yeah. for everybody involved. And so that that's what I would say to make that safe space. Because if somebody's already asking this question, that to me that sounds like they're trying. So the the space is pretty safe anyway. It's just that's the technique I would give. Like
0: No, that's awesome. I don't have teens. My kids are little. Um, But but, (laughs) They will be. (laughs) They will be. And when I look forward, I think one of the things I'm trying to kind of think about now is this idea of like, I didn't have these conversations on sexuality and on identity finding when I was that age. Like my parents didn't have them with me. I don't know if they, you know, it seems like they didn't really exist in the main stage. We were not having these kind of conversations. And so I don't have anything to model that after. And I feel like I'm in a phase right now of learning more from people that are in my sphere that have opened up to me. But these are all mm-hmm. new things. And and I think for a lot of parents, that's true. Not that they're, they are at all new in the world, but new to us as parents. And kind of figuring out how do I make sure that when my child approaches me with this, that they are not bogged down with my baggage that mm-hmm. comes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with, they- within this space. <laughs> How do I not hand them my
3: my package? To? Hand them your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting that you even say that because, um, I mean, I, I, I'm an out gay man, and so like I, I'm I'm in my 40s, so I, I didn't have the model either, right? You right know, right. I did, and so what I think partly of what we see today is this recognition from people, you know, in this generation that have gone through this and said, "Wait, I didn't have anything." And, and, and it's a thing. Like we need, we need to make sure that we, we talk about this and that, you know, there's models and there's books and there's information. And so I think that's why a lot of people are seeing it now because people that went through this before didn't have anything. And, and it was a recognition of like, I needed something to guide yeah. me and there was nothing to guide me. So I think that's why it's, it's seen now. Um, versus, you know, obviously when we were growing up, like it wasn't a yeah.
2: thing.
3: Um, So the the second part of that question, you say baggage, I actually say emotion. It's not really, it's it's not a baggage. It's okay. So like you, when you, when you had your child at that moment, you automatically start visualizing like what this child's life is going to be. Right. Like, and we can say like, oh no, I would never do that. We do that. There's nothing wrong with doing it. Yeah. So it happens. It's a thing. And part of that stuff, part of that baggage, um, I just did air quotes, like people yeah. could see me do air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, part of that is parents realizing wait my child's life is different than what i thought it was going to be and that's upsetting for parents and sometimes parents feel really guilty about that and so then that stuff comes up too so now it's like oh i i don't know how to handle this and i'm feeling bad about how i feel and now i don't know what to do and then it just comes out and so i i think what's really important for parents to understand is that hey you're allowed your emotion make sure it's in the right spot Make sure it's in the right place. You know, uh, parents are allowed to be, you know, have a period to be like, wait a minute, my child's life is going to be different. You know, my child's life is going to go in a different direction than I thought it was. And that means some things. I'm going to gain some things, but I'm also might lose some things as well. And and that's okay. And so I think that gets lost in this whole shuffle. You know, it's kind of the, oh, when my child says something, I'm just supposed to immediately run and be like, yay. And it's like, we're not robots. Like, we, we're we humans too. And so I think that's what I would say is allow, like, don't, don't feel bad about your emotion. You need to find a place to explore your own emotion with that versus obviously, you know, p- projecting that out to your child. <laughs> I always remind the client, like, you've known about this for a really long time. You know, mom and dad's known about it about eight minutes. So we, we've we got to give them time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes people just don't realize that. Like, it, it did, we don't think about it. So I definitely think, like, the way to keep the, you know, to use your word, the baggage, <laughs> uh, away from that is to realize what that is and then define the appropriate sources to talk to about that. You know, whether that's your support group, your friends, family members, or even, I, I'm going to throw it out there, a therapist. A therapist, uh, yeah. You know, we right? recommend a lot of therapy on the show. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So, th- I mean, that's what I, that that's how I would answer that. So, yeah.
1: Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We have a specific example about safe spaces that we'd love your insight on. A listener writes, how can I best support my teen who has come out to me, the mom, as non-binary, but doesn't want me to share with anyone, including my husband? This feels too big to keep just between the two of us, but I also want to respect their wishes. They are fine at the moment, at the very end of high school, with being outwardly labeled as male. But as they move on to college this fall, they want to start using gender-neutral pronouns.
3: I definitely understand um, the mom's point of view. Like, this seems bigger than just something I can keep. However, your child has trusted you with this to keep right now. And, yeah. and that's the advice I would give, is this is, you know, this is a journey for everyone involved. And everyone gets on the bus, for yeah. lack of a better analogy, at a different time. And right now, you know, their child has been on the bus, obviously, for a really long time. Okay. And it's now us mom to get on the bus. But it isn't ready really to let other people on the bus yet. And, and and it can be really damaging to force other people onto the bus. Yeah. Um, notice I'm not using the closet analogy. I have yeah, issues yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> but um we're not we don't want other people on the bus yet. And it's really important to respect that wish. It's it's not a forever. Right. I mean, to be really honest, um, you know, if if they are wanting to use gender neutral pronouns in their college life, like that's going to become known. Yeah. Right. Like there's going to be things that will start, you know, coming out and being being okay. To me, that that really is something that um we need to I, I would I would encourage the mom to allow that to happen. Now, on the same token, I would talk to them about why not tell dad. Yeah,
0: I was interested so, in that too. Like what, yeah, what's going it, on that they don't want dad to know.
3: Right. Like what's the concern? What's the issue? And being able to tease that apart and be able to explore that, um, honestly is, is to me, that's it. If I was the mom, that's exactly what I would do with my child is, you know, I would respect that wish, but I'd also explore. Okay. So I'm going to respect that wish, but I, I want to help you understand and explore why you want this right now. Like, why, why are we keeping this separate? Um, because there may be things that, you know, the child thinks might happen or yeah. is concerned about. And and mom can help alleviate that. And at the same time, there might be some real things that need to kind of be sorted through before um, dad's invited onto the bus. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the, like, not my news to share. Um, mm-hmm. And I was thinking, too, on this, like, the mom also, I think, has the right to tell her child, like... It is hard for me to keep this from dad. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, because you've mm-hmm. asked me to, and it's not my news. But it does make it a more complicated situation. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay for the right for the kid to understand that, right? Oh, like, yeah. Dad oh, yeah. and I usually don't keep secrets from each other, whatever mm-hmm. your family rules are.
3: Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I, I, I support that. I think the, the more authentic communication and the real communication that mom can provide about the uncomfortableness and not telling dad is actually important for uh, the child. Yeah. To, to hear. And 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 I I mean, this is different than like having a conversation with an eight-year-old. Like yes, yes. we're talking 17, 18 year old no, about to go to college, right? Yeah. One of the things with coming out that I don't think a lot of people understand is that it's it's a continuous process. It is a lifelong process. Um, it's never over. And so it's really important to let people control that and let people know they have the power. And I love what you said. Like, it's their information to share. We need to allow them to share that information. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why I think it's so, like, it's just so important to understand, you know, we're not talking about a harm issue. We're not talking about, you know, anything drastic. It's just, hey, I'm not ready to share this information yet. You know, ironically, um, I um I, I told my parents together, but it was like... I always tell people this: like you don't come out on a specific day. You know, yeah. we don't do it at Christmas. We don't do it, at, you know, New Year's or you know whatever big family gathering kind of thing. We do it on a Tuesday. You know, and that's how I phrase it. like we do it on a Tuesday, and and people are like, "What does that mean?" And it's like you do it on an ordinary day because you don't want to. When people do the big family thing, like, there's all these other things that go with yeah. oh, having yeah. the whole family together, <laughs> yeah. that it's just, that's not the time. That's not the time. And so I, I usually talk to people about, like, you know, we pick an average random day, really, to to make sure that that conversation's only focused on that information. Yeah, not, not
0: lost in other people's lost emotions and thing. other stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. great advice. <laughs> So we are going to pivot just a little bit. We have a mental health specific question now, which is our listener writes, I would love to hear about dealing with a teen who seems often so dispirited, not enthusiastic about anything, or is just being sullen and like not talking to parents. How do we keep a real relationship and that line of communication open?
3: Oh, okay. you know, this is probably first to really, we haven't said this, but we probably just say everything we're talking about is not medical advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, definitely, please. Uh, I encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional in your area. Um, if something that we're talking about today kind of resonates with you and you're like, Hey, I would like to learn more about that. It'd be interesting to know if this was a change for the, for the team. Um, you know, I, we all go through the teen angst, if you will, in some form or fashion. So is this a, is this a behavioral change or is this something maybe a little bit more? Um, I think the big thing with that is it's kind of finding, this is hard, finding the balance between I want my communication line open and I'm pushing too hard. Okay. Sometimes people just, you know, they're, they're not ready to talk or, the, or they're not wanting to talk and that's okay. It's hard because You know, we, we want them to talk because we feel something and we want to feel better. So we push them to talk so we can feel better. Yeah. And that's not really what's going on. You know, it's, if if the teen is, you know, kind of sullen and kind of, you know, non-responsive and just doing that whole thing, as a parent, I would say, you know, obviously reach out to the teen. say, I'm here if you want to talk about something, you know, ask the questions, how did school go today? Um... It's really important to engage them in the normative conversation, even if they don't want to participate. Um, because that's gonna keep the line open and not judge them when they don't want to share a whole bunch. You know, if they're like, Yeah, school is fine today. Okay, cool. You know, and then maybe if you get that a couple of times, say, I'm just curious, what is what's a fine school day? I don't really know what that means. Like how what does that look like? But you don't you don't judge them for like, you should tell me more. You should really yeah, I agree. like don't don't go after that. No, them, okay? I, this is such a good point that yeah. like
0: the line can be open and
2: mm-hmm.
0: nothing coming through it and mm-hmm. th- and that can be very different than the line is closed. Exactly. Um, like you it's almost like the teen just needs to know that you are still there and you're mm-hmm. still involved even if they don't want to mm-hmm. give you anything.
3: <laughs> right. Well, and I think one of the biggest things to say is like, you know, Hey, it's cool that you don't want to share anything with me. If you ever do, I'm here for you. I just want you to know I love you. Yeah. You know, and, and, and and that's it, right? And they're going to be like, you know, if they were like me when I was a teenager, like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Like, leave me (laughs) alone. (laughs) But, but, right? But it's, it's important because they're really still going to hear that message. They're still going to know that that's there. You know, now granted, if there's some other things going on where you're getting concerned about safety, let's get some professionals involved. That's a completely different issue. Right, right. But yeah, if we're just talking sullen, non-responsive, like kind of doing the, I, I, I'm I withdrawing, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's yeah. not anything to be super concerned about. To me, it's just continuing to keep the line open. They don't have to answer. And I think that's the biggest challenge for parents is, you know, a parent feels uncomfortable, like, oh, they don't want to talk to me. It, we got to sit with that you know as long as you let the the child know I'm there and I'm here if you want to yeah
0: yeah and that's it for our show thanks again to Rebecca Onion and Dr. Joseph Curran on Thursday we'll bring you a second set of team questions y'all submitted including how to navigate some uncomfortable but extremely necessary conversations about sex so I hope you'll join us subscribe to the show so you don't miss it if you rely on the show for parenting advice, consider signing up for Slate Plus. It's the best way to support this show. Members will never hear another ad on this or any other Slate podcast. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. Again, that's slate.com slash plus. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jasmine Ellis and Rosemary Belson. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening.